Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, September 30th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Well, happy birthday, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, it was yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what Did you do anything exciting on your birthday? Um, not really. Uh, this past weekend, I had um, my parents uh, come over and my sister and her husband drove up from Orlando to spend some time with me. So that was nice to see them just, um, you know, trying to keep it contained and not do anything too nuts. I, I uh, opted out of watching the debates or, or paying any attention <laughs> at all to that last night as a way to celebrate my birthday and just being like, you know what, I don't need this today. So um, that's what I didn't do on my birthday and i'm very pleased with my decision <laughs> i also did not watch the debates but i had a running commentary and my like group chats from other people being like you know outraged that trump did not uh <laughs> go against white supremacists and i'm like does this surprise you this is the reason why i didn't watch by the, by the way is like nothing that could be said would surprise me and nothing that could be said would change my mind in this debate, right? Like, th- so what's the point of watching it and getting angry? Yeah, hopefully everyone's um, 
come down on on the the correct choice at this point because i mean for god's sake there is only one <laughs> correct choice jesus christ yeah uh okay let's dive into the news let's start first with a stephen king remake uh chris tell us about it uh yes yeah, so blumhouse is making a new fire starter which was previously adapted into a film in 1984 starring Drew Barrymore. And we already knew the movie was in works, uh, but now we know who is going to star in it, at least <laughs> play one role in it. He's not, he's clearly not going to be the lead character who is a little girl, but uh, Zac Efron has joined the cast. So uh, there you have it. It's going to be a very handsome Firestarter movie. I, I've never seen Firestarter or read the book. Uh, so what is Firestarter about? Firestarter is about uh, a little girl um, who has uh, pyrokinesis power. She can start fires with her mind. And the reason she has this is because her parents were um, experimented on by this secret government agency called the shop. And like all secret government agencies, they're evil and they want to use these powers for nefarious purposes. And uh, so, so, yeah. so basically this is one of the many things that stranger things borrowed. Yes. You know, oh, borrowed absolutely. From. It's one of the, yeah, the <laughs> many, many things, stranger things, uh, quote unquote borrowed. <laughs> uh, who do you think Efren will play? Because he's, he's, he's not young enough to play the child. No, he's not. I'm guessing he's playing uh, the main character. Her name is Charlie. I'm guessing he's playing Charlie's father because, uh, a lot of the, the 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 book and the movie is about Charlie and her father on the run. Um, on the other hand, he could play one of the film's villains. There are, are two distinct villains in the story who work at the shop and are trying to manipulate Charlie for various reasons. I, I kind of think it'd be more interesting if he were playing one of the villains, but I, I'm almost positive he's going to end up playing the dad character. Yeah, I like Efron when he's playing a more complicated uh, you know, not the, the the lead role kind of guy, uh, you know, because I haven't seen Firestarter. Is, is this worth remaking? Yes, absolutely. The, the the 1984 Firestarter is is not good. I would even go far as far as to say it is bad. So there's there's lots <laughs> there's lots of room for improvement here. And, and there's good enough stuff in the the source material. So that's worth yeah, it's not track? it's yeah. not my favorite Stephen King book, but it's definitely um, it's got a lot of stuff that you know his fans enjoy for a certain reason, and yeah, it's pretty good. There, there's there's enough in the book that could make a pretty good movie. Okay, let's talk about a story that hit yesterday that kind of surprised I think everybody. Uh, it, if I told you that they were going to make a follow up to The Lion King, a movie that I think everybody on this podcast did not enjoy uh the the the, re, the recent uh i want to call it a live action remake but that's not even true the <laughs> what, what do we even refer to that as the uh, recent um digitally animated? yeah 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 uh if someone was gonna make a follow-up to that movie and it, it would actually be a director that you cared about en- enough that you were interested in this movie i feel like nobody would believe that but uh apparently that that is happening ben tell us about it yeah, Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, has been tapped to direct a follow-up to the 2019 version of The Lion King that was directed by John Favreau. So, um, what the hell? I don't know. I mean, a very like totally out of left field choice here. We had no idea that 
I mean, you know, we don't, we're not privy to a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but just from like a narrative outside uh, looking in perspective, this seems uh, like a really, really weird thing to happen um, because Barry Jenkins has not so far shown much of an interest in being, um, you know, in, in joining uh, the blockbuster sphere as it were. And this movie is going to be a follow-up to the the 2019 version, which made, you know, over a billion dollars at the box office. So it's got, this is definitely him stepping into the biggest project of his, of his entire career so far. Um, we don't really know much about the movie itself. Disney is referring to it as a follow-up, not a sequel. And actually Barry Jenkins, like after the story came out, tweeted that it is not a sequel and it is not a remake. And um, when the original uh, news broke about this project, it said that this version of the Lion King will further explore the mythology of the characters, including Mufasa's origin story. So that leaves prequel on the table. Um, but yeah, the, the actual details are, are, you know, sort of remain to be seen and we don't know anything about like which characters from the original movie are going to be coming back aside from Mufasa, but we don't even know, you know, like how far back in Mufasa's storyline they're going to be going or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, just, um, we're all sort of reeling from this, this news because it's so (laughs) unexpected. Well, he's just such an unexpected pick because, you know, his film so far, what, um, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk. Are those his two films, or does he have films before that? He has some I, films before that, I think. I want to say he directed one called Medicine for Melancholy, right? Yeah. But none of those films show, I think, any interest in, like, computer-generated, like, uh, you know, visual effects. Right. <laughs> in this movie, it's going to require basically uh, – I guess performance capture technology. I'm, I'm assuming. Like, well, I like... think it's going to be shot in the same way that um, Favreau shot the original, or the, not the original, but the the 2019 <laughs> Lion King, and that didn't necessarily have performance capture. It was more like um, shot in a virtual reality space, um, and they had the actors come in and you know act out some of the scenes on in like an empty volume, an empty soundstage, essentially, and they just used their uh, the footage that they captured then for um, basically for reference for the animators. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, Andy Serkis and Lord of the Rings performance capture level kind of thing. But um, it's just so strange to think about Barry Jenkins jumping into that technologically advanced style of filmmaking, which is so, um, you know, <laughs> it, there, it's so different from like the classical kind of storytelling that we're used to seeing from him. Has either of you seen the Lion King to Simba's pride, which was like this direct to I'm guessing it was VHS at the time animated film. It was a sequel. Uh, no, I know our own HT is a big fan of it. Um, she's a little bit younger than us. So maybe it's a, a um, a younger millennial touch point, but uh, yeah. I have not seen it. Chris, have you seen it? No, I don't think I've, I ever watched any of those direct to VHS Disney sequels. I think even as a kid, I was like, Eh, I don't trust this. <laughs> the only one that I saw was um, the Return of Jafar, which was the the Aladdin uh, directed uh, to VHS. But yeah, well, they were making a lot of money off these for a while, but I think it kind of like tarnished the Disney Animation brand name because they were such, you know, a far drop from the tree of, of what the theatrical releases were. And I remember when uh, John Lasseter came aboard, he you know put a stop 
to that. But then they had Disney tunes and then that fell and whatever, (laughs) you know, history repeats itself over and over again. But, you know, it doesn't seem like this is going to repeat. It's not going to be inspired by Simba's pride because, you know, that was a sequel. So, you know, that was following Simba's daughter. So if this follows Mustasta, I can't talk. What is what what could this be about? I guess this could be show like how the the feud between him and scar like how what do you what do you make of this like what yeah what could attract Uh, barry jenkins to this property i I was trying to think about that too and from a narrative level that's that's where my mind went like oh the you know we start to see the fracture relationship between um mufasa and scar and and that kind of thing which doesn't really sound interesting to me but barry jenkins also released a statement where he said having the opportunity to work with disney on expanding this magnificent magnificent tale of friendship love and legacy while furthering my work chronicling the lives and souls of folk within the African diaspora is a dream come true. So the way that he ties the concept of the Lion King in with, you know, his um, uh, filmic legacy of, of uh, directing essentially movies about black characters um, that makes it a little bit more interesting to me than because it's, it, it sort of imbues this potential, this movie with um, more meaning than just, a crass IP kind of thing, you know, like, yes, it is going to be about Mufasa's origin story, but maybe that's just the, the little bit of information that we're getting about it now. And Barry Jenkins is actually going to be able to like um, subvert expectations and, and insert, you know, under like, uh, like Trojan horse in a bunch of ideas that he is actually interested in, into this big IP thing that has a built in audience. That's the only way that I can justify in my mind him taking on a project like this is if he's going to actually be able to uh, insert some of his own stuff in here. And I should mention that he's not writing the script for this. Um, Jeff Nathanson, who wrote the 2019 version, is writing the script. So maybe that'll change. Maybe Jenkins will do a pass on the script or something like that. But um, yeah, to answer your question, I'm, I'm not sure, but that seems like the only way that I can justify him being like, you know what, this is what I want to do with the next, you know, X number of years of my life. So now that he's involved, are are you guys excited for this? I'm not sure uh, if excited is the right word for it. Yeah. Are I you would, interested? Intrigued? I wouldn't use excited. Um, I'll, I'll probably be more intrigued once I see footage. Um, that said, I saw a lot of people on film Twitter yesterday just like freaking the fuck out about this. And you know, I I was caught in what way because I wasn't looking at Twitter. Yesterday. It was basically they were like angry, like oh no, the Disney machine is gonna swallow up Barry Jenkins. And like, look, Disney, I don't have, I don't have an affinity for Disney. I do think you know they're a company, and most companies are inherently evil. That said, uh, <laughs> even if this turns out to be you know a crappy movie, Barry Jenkins is gonna get paid. He's gonna get a lot of money to do this more than he's he got to make his his last two movies and i'm all for barry jenkins getting as much money as possible because he can then use that money to make you know movies more like the things he's already made and at the same time i also feel like there's a lot of this like knee-jerk reaction where people think they have to like stand up for artists like barry jenkins is an adult like no one like disney didn't like put a gun to his head and be like you have to make the lion king too (laughs) like you know he i'm sure he went to meetings and all this stuff like this is something he wants to do so 
it's just it's very weird to me when people act this way where it's like oh no the barry jenkins working for disney like he he obviously wants to do it like it's not you know he, he's not you know I, I i i've heard nothing about him having like massive tax debts or anything like that so it's not, he has he has no reason to not, you know be forced into this so uh, that, that's how i look at it like even if this movie turns out to be bad it's something he wants to do and it's something he's probably going to make a huge chunk of change for doing and i really can't see a downside to that yeah i'm really curious if disney pitched this to him or if he went in to disney he was like i have an idea like i don't know i, I feel like this kind of thing doesn't happen with Disney pitching this idea to him, right? Like, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm totally naive there, but I feel maybe like the, there's... Like, I, every time I hear about stuff like this, it's usually like uh, the studio has like a huge list of things. <laughs> yeah. Like, here is what we want to make. And they bring in a filmmaker they like, and they say, which of these interests you? So I'm guessing it was something like that. They had like a list of titles. He was like, oh, I can do something with this. And he he went for it. Or I'm completely wrong. And Disney really did show up at Barry Jenkins's house with a gun and said, listen, <laughs> you are making this Lion King movie. And he was like, I have, I have no choice. I must do this. Okay. You, you were talking about the evil Disney machine and that that's the subject for our next story. Uh, Disney yesterday announced that they're laying off around 28,000 cast members in the United States. And this is in the, the parks resorts uh, business. Uh, ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Josh Diamaro, who is the uh, Disney Parks chairman, announced in a tweet yesterday that uh, in light of uh, COVID and the impact that that has had on uh, the Disney businesses and um, and the fact that uh, California has not um, allowed them, to, has not lifted the restrictions that would allow Disneyland to reopen, that they have to um, essentially fire 28,000 domestic employees, um, cast members and stuff who work in the parks experience and products department. So, uh, you know, they're going to be essentially like negotiating with unions to figure out exactly who is going to be affected by this because some of the, it's not just, you know, okay, if you work in the theme parks, you're done kind of thing. There's, there's different levels. Some executives I think are probably going to be affected by this as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's the, you know, bottom line, a lot of people are about to lose their jobs. And, um, you know, we can blame that on the state of California, as tomorrow seems to be doing in this, uh, in this uh, tweet, or we could blame this on the coronavirus and the the lack of uh, leadership from the top down. It's a bad situation all, uh, you know, all around. And, um, you know, certainly, anytime there are massive layoffs at, at any company, I, you know, my heart goes out to anybody who's affected by that so i know there are probably a lot of like disney cast members who are listening to this podcast right now and i i, I feel for for them um in this in this time yeah uh, as you know i go to D disneyland a lot I, i'm friends with a lot of cast members and both disneyland and disney world uh you know one of the cast members in disneyland has written for our site with my friend nate um he's you know terrified that he's gonna lose his job uh this is sad it's really sad uh but it's like i don't know it's like obviously disney was going to have to lay some people off right like covid is going to completely cripple uh the parks resorts and this is also cru uh, cruise ships as well mm. uh the cruise ship business and you know i'm sure no one's going on a cruise ship for the next couple of years uh i think w what did we read in a previous episode like disney parks isn't going to recover for three years or something 
to normal yeah, levels. Yeah, it was something. It might have even been till like 2025 or something like that. Yeah, so like you can't expect them to pay the same amount of cast members to do their job if they're gonna be getting a lot more business. Like, you know, it is a publicly traded company. Uh, not defending Disney, <laughs> but uh, like you know, some people were supposed to, to were going to lose their job. COVID, you know, is responsible here. Uh, I, I guess the question is like, is Josh is is it wrong of him to blame California? Because there, I'm of two minds here. Um, one is California was supposed to reopen alongside Disney World in July, and that didn't happen. Uh, Governor Newsom decided not to uh, do that. Uh, I'm, I know a lot of people on this podcast are, are, are for that decision. Uh, Disney World, from what I can tell, is doing a really great job at uh, keeping things safe, uh, keeping uh, you know, the, the safety protocols and the enforcement, uh, that said, um, you know, I, I do understand the, the idea that we, we want to crush this thing and we don't want to have theme parks open, but in, in California, there, there's this thing called Knott's, uh, Berry Farm and they're having these food events right now where the theme park is closed, but the, the whole, the whole theme park is open as a food festival. And I went to this last week. Um, they have uh, the taste of Halloween and they're doing this all of October and it's all sold out. It's completely sold out. It's sold out for the entire month of October that they had to add more dates to this thing. And this is like a full theme park. That's, you know, miles down the street from Disneyland (laughs) that is like open. And at the same time, like the governor here in California, uh, won't release guidelines. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I don't know. I I don't want to be like this is the government's fault because it definitely isn't. It's COVID's fault. But at the same time, like release guidelines and be like, you know, you can have the parks open, but no rides open. You know, release something. The fact that like he's like sitting on these guidelines. I don't know. It, it's just like so many people are going to lose their job out of this. I, I know this includes Walt Disney World, too. So I think like 10,000 or something like that or Disney World. So it's not all Disneyland and it's not all because they can't reopen and don't have these guidelines. But uh, I don't know. This is a crappy situation, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope, uh, I don't know. I hope something can be done and some of these people can be saved because uh, I'm seeing on like my Instagram feeds, like people that have worked for the company, like uh, someone I know uh, worked for the company 20 years, over 20 years, lost their job yesterday. So uh, that's crazy. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, a fistful of dollars. They're doing a TV series based on this Western. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yes. Uh, a fistful of dollars was released in 1964. Uh, it was directed by Sergio Leone and uh, it was Clint Eastwood's first real starring role. And it's also the film that really made him a star. He was sort of just struggling until he, he went and started doing spaghetti Westerns and it, it turned him into a, like a, you know, a bankable actor. And it's it's based uh, unofficially. It's an unofficial remake of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Um, and when I say unofficial, I mean really unofficial. They they uh, conveniently forgot to credit him, and uh, Toho Studios took this film to court and sued, and they settled out of court because it's pretty much the same exact story where it's about you know a loner uh, who wanders into a town that's in the midst of a, a war, and he you know starts playing the two feuding. Uh, families or whatever you want to call them against each other and um now that's being turned into a tv show um we don't really know a whole lot about this we know that um 
Uh, Brian Cogman, who wrote for Game of Thrones, is has, is rumored to be handling the adaptation. That's not confirmed. It's just a rumor. Uh, we also know it's going to be in a contemporary setting, so it's not going to be a Western, nor will it be, you know, a, a samurai story like Yojimbo. But uh, that's all we know. It doesn't even have a network yet. So, but that's in the works. Well, if you're going to do a contemporary retelling of this story, then what's the point of even calling it a fistful of dollars? Uh, brand recognitions, Peter. That's all that matters now. People want that that hot branding, like like ratchet. They had to, like, you know, all the kids were like, man, I hope someday someone cashes in on that one flew over the cuckoo's nest IP. <laughs> and Netflix came along and they were like, we got you. And they released ratchet. And that's where we are as a society. I don't know. Like, I then why not just base this on the Akira Kurosawa movie that this was, you know, stolen? Maybe the rights to this were cheaper than that. Maybe (laughs) it kind of sounds like like a season of Fargo or something, doesn't it? It it actually sounds a lot like the current season of Fargo, which is kind of interesting. I just don't understand why don't you make this a western at this point? I don't know. I don't. There are there any western TV shows on the air right now? I mean, I know obviously uh, there were. I can't think of Westworld. Well, I mean, kind of. That doesn't even, like that doesn't like count as a western anymore. Like I would say maybe um, what is that show that uh, Taylor Sheridan does on the Paramount Network? Is it called Yellowstone? Uh, Yellowstone? Yeah, I, yeah, that I guess might that's be like, like temporary. Yeah, western, yeah like yeah. sort of a modern western. But I, I would love to see like an old school classic western on on modern television that would be awesome yeah and it seems like it would be a good way to get away from get away with all those covid rules that you have to have masks so everybody could be like wearing like bandanas over their faces yeah okay uh let's move on let's talk about borat 2 uh, did we even talk about the title of this movie on this podcast? Uh, we, we talked have. about the existence of the movie, but the title uh, came out after we talked about it on the podcast. So, okay, okay why don't you start there, Ben? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, the official title is Borat: colon, Gift of Pornographic Monkey to Vice Premier Michael Pence to Make Benefit Recently Diminished Nation of Kazakhstan. So quite the mouthful of the title there, um, very much in line with the original super long title of the, the 2006 movie. Um, but yeah, we, we've learned some new news about Borat 2, which is that it is going to be debuting on Amazon Prime Video next month. So um, actually in late October, uh, in time for the 2020 presidential election. So um, as you can probably tell from the inclusion of Mike Pence's name in the title of the movie, he is going to factor into this uh, this comedy in some way. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything specific about like how exactly he's going to be, uh, you know, in, in what capacity he fully appears in here. I don't know if like Sasha Baron Cohen actually got close enough to him to like literally offer him up some sort of weird monkey or if... Uh, if he's actually going to be, you know, a major character in this movie, but uh, you can read the story at slashfilm.com that has like basically a rundown of everything we know about the film so far. Um, Deadline actually calls this, this the first movie that was officially made during the the COVID-19 shutdown and that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, the, the star of the film actually wore a bulletproof vest on two different shooting days because of the dangerous situations that he got himself in while they were shooting. So uh yeah that's you know there, there's still a little bit about this movie we don't know we're not sure if larry charles who directed the original borat is uh is back behind the camera here but we do know that it's going to be coming to amazon sometime in late october um 
there's, I guess, some rumors that it might be October 23rd. That's what Deadline initially reported, but they deleted that information after. So I'm not sure if that was like they spilled the beans too early or if they were just misinformed. So uh, maybe keep a special eye on October 23rd if you're really looking forward to Borat 2. But um, in you know, if it doesn't hit that day, it's going to be coming sometime very close to then. I've talked to some people that know something about this movie, and they, they keep on telling me that people are going to get fired when this gets released. So that that excites me. Uh, the release date of this movie right before the election uh, makes me wonder, like, do you think, like, is this movie, like, I know Michael Morse often, you know, releases a movie and he gets... Uh, being he's accused of being opportunistic and he's exploiting the election for money and you know I you know ticket sales for his movies or do you think this is actually something that is going to be you know that Sasha Baron Cohen is is releasing to actually make an impact on that election? Um, well, kind of like what we were talking about at the very beginning of this episode where like, uh, you know, basically everyone has, everyone has chosen their side at this point. I don't think that anything that comes out between now and maybe not anything, but barring something, it, it would have to be a hell of a lot more than somebody being embarrassed on screen by Sasha Baron Cohen to actually change the minds of anyone at this point. I think people have dug in so hard and like you know whatever uh, comes up is just either going to be fuel for their side or you know defensible in some way and and you know casting the other side in in negative light um so i I don't think that he's making this in order to change minds i do think he's making it to um you know sort of like rub these people's face in (laughs) in it if he can if he can do anything to make these people look stupid and it just so happens to be right before an election where it might change a person's mind i'm guessing that's why uh they fought for this to come out and also like you know this movie in the year 2020 it was just never going to come out in theaters so because of the pandemic, there's no way that that was going to happen. The first Borat movie made a ton of money. And like theoretically in a, in an alternate universe, this movie could do the same thing if it came out in theaters. But I think it was sort of uh, a conflagration of a, a lot of different events. And like, you know, since theaters are essentially off the table, it sort of seems like, well, yeah, we might as well put this out. And if it's done already, which the whole thing was shot secretly and edited earlier this year and the movie's done, then might as well, you know, put it out before the the uh, election is over. Yeah. Okay. Our final story to talk about today is about the third Jurassic World movie, which apparently is the film that Colin Trevorrow wanted to make from the very beginning. Chris, tell us about it. Yes. Colin Trevorrow uh, gave a little uh, quote about the film, um, and I will read it in full. He, he said, quote, <clears throat> This is the movie I've been waiting to make from the beginning. It's the one we have spent the past two movies building to. It was really part of a larger story and part of that design. I think people may have underestimated the size and importance of Laura Dern and Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum's characters in this movie. It is very much an ensemble and that element and the ability to take these beloved characters from almost 30 years now and understand how they interact with each other in the context of a world that we've really never seen before and have not been able to witness until now is very exciting. I'm having the time of my life. That was him, not me. I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not having the time of your life? Not, not just yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess I'm, I'm very curious about this movie and what it actually is. So like if the first film was like 
I think you called it like a loud, big, dumb monster movie in this piece, Chris. Uh, it, it, the sequel is kind of like a half disaster film, half like contained like horror movie in a haunted house kind of thing. Uh, what do you think Dominion is going to be? I mean, if it's, you know, really building off the ending of Fallen Kingdom, it's going to be set in this world where humans and dinosaurs are literally coexisting in like the same space. The dinosaurs aren't just on an island somewhere. And as loath as I am, every time someone says about a sequel, this is the film I wanted to make, I, I die a little inside because it's just them trying to like cover up for shitty stuff that happened already. But I, I have to admit, as much as I have not enjoyed the Jurassic World franchise, um, I am very curious to see what this is. And I, I really do like the idea that Laura Dern and Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum are back. And based on everything we've read, including these quotes, they have like a major role in the film. It's not just going to be like Fallen Kingdom where Jeff Goldblum literally never leaves a courtroom and, and says like five <laughs> lines. So, uh, you know, that alone has me interested. Yeah, I just I just wonder, like, is this really the movie he wanted to make from the beginning? Did he go into that meeting with Steven Spielberg and like pitch like the idea of the first movie becoming about dinosaurs loose on Earth? And then Steven was like, no, I really want it to be at the park again. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if how much of this is, you know, him saying that versus, you know, I don't know. I, I guess in a way he's trying to say that, like, this one's going to be good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those other two sucked. This one will be good, though. Wink, wink. That's pretty uh, much is what he's saying. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm very curious about this one. Uh, but uh, when does Jurassic World Dominion even come out at this point? Do we have a release date? I know it's shooting during second. COVID. Yeah. Peter, while we're looking this up, I said conflagration earlier. Apparently, that means a large, disastrous fire. I misspoke. I meant convergence. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> see, I, I, I didn't know what the word meant. I just, uh, I just assumed you were smarter than me. So I was like, okay, no, sure. I, I said it, and I was like, wait a second, I don't think that was right. So anyway, sorry, Chris, go ahead. June eleventh, twenty twenty one, is the current release date, but that could obviously change. Yeah. I'm guessing it probably will. But okay, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find links to the stories we talked about on today's podcast in the show notes. You can find this podcast in iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you on Friday.